Welcome to Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. We're here to help you take your health, fitness, and mindset to the next level. It's time to level up. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. Today we are talking about how to choose the best exercise. Click bait. <laughs> Reel them in, baby. Here we go. We've got a bite. No, but this is like a very common question that I feel like I get a lot too. Like, what is the best exercise mm. for insert? What is the best food for insert? Like, mm-hmm. what is the best? Everyone wants the best. Um, and yep. it was funny. Someone asked in my Q&A box the other day, like, what's the best resource for program design? And it made me oh, think God. back to like, I don't know, maybe like quite a few years ago now, but I used to look for the best books too. And I used mm. to look for the best course and the best thing and the best certification and the best you know, resources. And I looked and looked and looked and realized there's no such thing because no such thing. Yeah. Best is contextual. And the best is an accumulation of experience, knowledge, resources, money, time, investments. Like it's an investment of things. It's never just going to be a one-stop shop. Not even this podcast, not even a book that you read, not even a course. Yeah. Yeah. Cold, hard facts, but it's so right. There is no best resource for programming. As you said, all of those uh, variables from the coach's point of view, but then all of the variables of your client, everyone is so different that there's just no cookie cutter approach that you can use on, on even the two same people, even two twins probably would need Mm. different training. Like, yeah. So today we're going to talk about um, kind of off the back of last week's episode. Now we're going to move into a little bit more about the exercise selection um, and how to go about making a decision without feeling overwhelmed with all of the different variables. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. And when it comes to exercise selection, like it's, it's obviously the exercise that you're choosing to put inside a workout. It's probably arguably one of the most important things when it comes to uh, writing a program. It's definitely one of the key principles that you need to consider first up. And mm-hmm. I don't know about you and I don't know about anyone else, but when I write a program, like you already know the client, you already know what you're trying to achieve, but it's the first thing that I start with before I even look at sets and reps and tempo and everything yeah, else. Of course. So dump all the exercises in for the week. And then you organize, I'm like, okay, how many, what's the training split? Like how many days, when can I fit that? Oh, I don't want to do two movements on that day. Same thing. And you sort of organize it in that way. So I do like a big dump of the exercises that I want across the week. Um, And then you go into volume and tempo and rest and all of those other things. So today Mm -hmm. we're going to start by obviously talking about the key consideration to begin with, which is your client and who it's for. It's about the client. I love that. And really get to know your client first. And we Mm -hmm. still need to either have a questionnaire or an interview with them or whatever way or meet up with them face to face, get to know them, not just their goals though, because they're going to come to you. I want to lose weight. I want to build muscle. I want to get strong. Sure. That's very important, but Mm -hmm. then that's only one hour in the gym. What are they doing all of the other 23 hours? Do they have kids? Do they sit at a desk all day? Are they out on a work site all day? Do they have injuries? There's so many other elements that I think are overlooked because people are just so fixated on their hypertrophy goal or their weight loss Mm. goal that they, they forget that they, there's 23 other hours in the day that your client is doing something. And all of that information is so important. Yeah, absolutely. Because when you think about it, those things, what they impact is recovery. 
you know, and recoverability is really important when it comes to training because it's not what we do in the gym, it's how we actually recover from it. So there's going to be key principles when it comes to looking at the client themselves. And as you said, Danny, like what's their goal? That's that's really important. That's obviously going to help you with exercise selection and the runway to be able to get them because you'll revert uh, work backwards from that too. Um, training history, like motivation, where they're at, how many days of the week they can do, all of those sorts of things, which I feel like most people would be familiar with, but we really just want to start start um, by talking about those things. Yeah, and what you can find when you get a client that just signs on, they're so excited. They say, yep, I want to do seven days in the gym or six days. Like people always overshoot their training availability because they want to impress you or they might be really motivated. So maybe they will have the energy to, you know, train five, six days at the start, but then more often than not, it's just not realistic. So I think it's also important for you to have a realistic chat with your client and have that less is more approach that we always stress on this podcast, because if you can pick and choose the key exercises, the key days that you need in the gym, you know, you can always build from that. It it sort of doesn't work if you have too high of expectations at the start and then have to sort of pull back. You're better Mm. off just starting with the, the bare minimum that you can tick that off, get consistent, and then you can build if you need to. Yeah, absolutely. I always say to people, like, what's the minimum amount that you could mm. do? Like, what's the minimum? Because everyone tells you their maximum. Don't so they? It's like, what's the minimum? They're like, oh, I do four or five most of the time, but the minimum I can do is three. I'm like, we're starting at three because it's more motivating for people to build up than have yeah. to regress at the end of the day. So you've got to look at the, I guess, the long-term journey for your client as well when it comes to that. So I guess that's the client, right? That's pretty obvious. That's obviously got to be the first place that you start. The next Mm. thing that you're going to transition to when you start to choose exercises for a training program is going to be the goal or from a coaching lens, the adaptation that you want, right? Not necessarily the goal, like, you know, clients want to look better. That's, That's not going to help you with exercise selection, right? So you need to look at the adaptation or the stimulus that you're trying to impose on the body. Mm. Some of the common ones uh, that we just got listed, and I really want to mention there's a lot, but just some of the common ones. so many. So many, but just some of the common ones uh, that you'll probably run into will be obviously skill acquisition. So you might have a really detrained client who is relatively new. Um, Let's be honest, they need a bit of adaptation everywhere. Uh, But a really good place to start from a programming perspective is just going to be something that is referred to as like a a general fitness program um, or just like a, a really beginner's balanced, like movement pattern based program. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's it's such a nice place to start. But I say that in hindsight because when I was a bit <laughs> beginner, I was so stubborn and I hated being a beginner. Yeah. But now looking back, it's like it, it can be frustrating because you are learning a new skill. But, you know, the world is your oyster. You get those newbie gains. Everything's yeah. new. Like it's it's just so nice to have a clean slate. Um, so as you said, Trell, it's very important to see it as a skill building phase you know like Mm. a general fitness phase and yes you there are two ways you can go about it or how I go about with programming beginners Um, you can start with lower reps and this depends on the exercise lower reps to make sure that they're performing it really well Mm. or and then and then bring it up to higher reps I've heard it, it being thrown around okay we need really high reps on light weight I, yes, the more reps you perform helps you learn a skill better, 
But if you give someone 15 reps and then by the eighth rep, they've just lost it and they just forget how to do it or they're a bit tired. So reps nine to 15 don't look that good. You're mm. better off having lower reps. Yeah. Um, so with beginners, just it's just about performing lots of reps within their limit. And, and if their reps start to break down from fatigue um, or they just sort of lose the ability to perform nice reps, cut the set short there. So I feel like, you have to really get feedback and mm-hmm. there's no set amount of reps for beginners. It's just about how can they sort of perform it well? What is that number for them? And yeah. it will probably change every week, to be honest. If they can get six awesome reps in week one, they need a little break, they go again. Maybe week two, they'll get to eight or 10. So always ask for feedback with beginners in particular. Yeah, really good point. Um, I I definitely take more of like a moderate uh, rep pro approach right to get feedback like I probably wouldn't give someone a 15 rep sort of thing unless it was something like a kickback or something that's isolated it depends mm-hmm. on the exercise right mm-hmm. and that's why you start with the exercise and then build from there but I think um even before you write a program for a client something I like to do is something called an exercise screening rule and a lot of people will be familiar with this but it's basically just like a set of movement patterns that you might get a client to record themselves with and upload if it's on online or in person, you'll get them to perform and assess them. Um, Because if you're not assessing, you're guessing at the end of the day. So Mm. if they can do basic movement patterns, you're like, cool, like I know that I can probably start with these exercises. And as coaches, practitioners, whoever you are, You've got to be um, compassionate with yourself when you first start working with someone that you're just taking an honest, educated guess of where they're at. The longer you work with someone, the better your programming will become for them as you begin to understand them as a client. Yeah. And again, people will always make themselves sound more experienced. Um, So even if you get a trainer come to you, don't be fooled because yeah, sometimes trainers are still beginners and that's so fine. Um, so as you said, seeing videos of your client is really useful. Um, and then just also getting that feedback and not giving them too much at the start, because let's just say, you know, I would take someone on and then they'd say, yep, cool. This is probably a bit easy. I'm ready to progress. Great. And then you build up from there, but video screening and then testing all movement patterns is very important. Squat, thrust, hinge, lunge, core, push, pull, everything. Give it all to them, but in low volume and low intensity, just so you can screen while they're working out. I think the days of actual movement screening is kind of gone. You Mm -hmm. can screen a movement or you should be able to screen a movement and, and look where their weaknesses are from. So those movements rather than you know, put your hands up like this and do that and whatever. I still oh, I've never heard of that. What's that? As in like that's more movements? from yeah, more from a practitioner point of view. To be honest, I mean, yeah. you can still do your movement screening, which is like if someone comes with shoulder pain, hey, come up, lift, touch your back, oh, yeah. or touch the back of your hands at the top of your head. It's still relevant, um, mm. but. N- you get more information when they're in the actual movement. So for someone with shoulder pain, I'd go, hey, let's see how you're pushing or let's see how you're pulling. Especially under load, right? Yeah, light loads at the start though. Of course, of course. But like absolutely, there's like three things I always look out for. You'd be the same. Everyone's lateral raise sucks. Everyone's hip extension sucks. Everyone's lunge sucks. And that's so fine, right? (laughs) And when I say sucks, there's room for improvement. (laughs) I was there too. So it's about realizing that 
yeah, we are looking for how you just go through normal functional movement patterns. Um, and I do like seeing it under load, obviously appropriate load. I'd tell mm-hmm. them to show me what they're normally doing. Um, and then that's going to give you a lot of clues when it comes to exercise selection. You'll know, you'll be like, okay, no way we're getting a bar on that back just yet. Um, yeah. So it's just about realizing that, yeah, that's a great tool. But the beginner skill acquisition phase, general fitness preparation phase, that's going to be the first adaptation or goal um, as a coach that you might take a new client on um, mm. throughout. And then we've got other traditional ones as well. So we've got hypertrophy, which is muscle building. We spoke all about that last week in a more yeah. advanced way. Uh, and then we've got strength. So that could be relative strength as well, whether that's with barbells um, going through traditional movements. But then strength is everything, right? Like you can mm. get strong on a lunge. You can get strong on a shoulder press or lateral raise or whatever it might be. Uh, So strength is sort of subjective, I guess, Mm, in a a sense. Uh, And then we've got, you know, prehab, rehab as well. That's its own uh, like adaptation in itself and Mm. has its own set of exercise selection and criteria too. Uh, Sport specific. um, So that's not my realm at all. But if someone's got sport specific goals, they would have to train in a particular way to be able to get a particular outcome to peak for potentially a competition or a event itself. Mm -hmm. And then uh, finally, we've got conditioning as well, which also has a different goal and um, like a, a different exercise selection program. Yeah, well. good lineup. I'd love to run through them a little bit without being here for two no, that's hours. It. I think it's important. Well, <laughs> yeah, go for it. Start and the page. end, the rest is up to you guys. <laughs> I wasn't yeah. sure because you did the overview. I'm like, this is a nice overview. Is that it? Or, you know, that's but, the overview. But yeah, we'll beautiful. go into more detail for each. So hypertrophy. Right. Do you want to well, we kind off? of already did it last week. For All we right, did. for those who haven't listened, I mean, yeah, muscle building. But maybe we can even talk about the number of days in a week roughly so I'd say for a beginner maybe three days a week no more than four for a beginner because you're going to pull up sore get you know doms and as you said we need that time for recovery which is really important I feel like yeah hypertrophy if you want a big one hour episode on that tune into last week's um, but I kind of wanted to move on to strength, if you don't mind, because that really comes off the back of the skill. And we always talk about that strength is a skill and you will be much stronger in a movement if you are very good at performing that movement. And that's just how it works. So it's so important to practice each rep as a single rep in your mind, get mm. the technique right, get your mind there, be present and have that output because that will allow you to be stronger. So the reason why strength is a skill, because strength can also be positional. So for example, you and I can hip thrust probably double what we can squat for that reason. It's just different positions, different skills. Um, A strong hip thrust doesn't always carry over into a strong squat and deadlift. There are elements, of course, but for that reason, you can't just only train hip thrusts and expect to have equally amount of a strong of a squat just because you, there are so many other muscles, elements, movement patterns, balances, forces that come into each individual exercise. So for those of you, yeah, who want to get stronger, maybe get under a bar, just keep practicing that skill and refining that skill. And that is how you can get stronger. It's a big element. It's not just about putting more weight on your back. 
Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, like what you said, strength is a skill because not only do you like need to build physical strength, um, of course, uh, but neurologically, like you develop, I guess, that mind muscle connection where you like your nervous system learns a movement pattern. And that's why you're saying like, just because you're strong on a, like one lift, it won't necessarily um, transfer as much to um, a similar lift as you think, because even changing your foot stance, um, you know, how you're positioning yourself, where the barbell is, all of those things, you, you're essentially learning a whole new movement pattern in your brain, right? Mm. So you have mm. to learn to go through that. And I was listening to a podcast the other day. It was a fantastic podcast. And they were talking about the disadvantage of having short mesocycles. So, you know, three to four weeks sort of mesocycles that we would do, um, but giving it to a beginner and the disadvantage of giving a beginner like a really short mesocycle. Um, and short's going to be contextual. All of those things are going to be contextual, right? Yeah. What for? But um, giving someone or progressing someone from one training program to another before they've really been able to go through skill acquisition position uh, disadvantages them because they don't get to progressively overload. So for mm. someone like me or you, Danny, we might do four week training blocks or five week or whatever it might be. We might spend one week figuring out our training and like supersets and like you go through that even as like advanced trainees, I would probably call us. We still go through that first week where you're not hitting PRs. Um, you're not really like training with like, you know, RPE nine and 10 for a lot of the time, your, your brain and nervous system are still adjusting to that new training program those new movement patterns mm-hmm. um if you've altered exercise selection that is uh and then weeks you know two three and potentially four or maybe two and three that's when you're able to actually progressively overload add more weight to the bar challenge the muscles um push with intensity and and really get adaptations and yeah. then let's say maybe you deload week four so you pull back again and the cycle mm-hmm. repeats mm-hmm. so having a beginner, right? And this is why I love sort of higher uh, weeks for beginners, depending again, yeah, depending yeah. on what you're No, no, always it depends. Um, but yeah, it's just about being really aware that that week one of your training block, you're always going to be learning the skill of the yeah. movements and building strength. And this is the reason why you might be able to add 10 kilos on uh, each side in week two, because your nervous system's like learnt that movement pattern. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that is a really good point. I mean, beginners should spend longer sort of than four weeks, but the only sort of argument to that is training morale and motivation and people don't want to be doing the exact same thing over and over again. You get athletes training just one movement over and over and over again, and that's all they do, but they've got a high training morale because they're training for an event or they're, you know, Olympic athletes or whatever, like, you know, or bodybuilding, you and I, we're getting on stage, we'll do whatever it takes, even if it's monotonous and we're eating the same thing every day or whatever it takes. Um, but then for a beginner to come into the gym, again, a lot of people want to be entertained. So yeah, a really good point that you made, like I would definitely keep maybe the compound lifts similar so you can progress. But yeah. then for example, just change bicep curls, like hammer curls to bicep curls the other way or tricep with a rope to tricep with a bar, something that feels different to the beginner, but we know that it's still quite similar. But to them, it's like, oh, cool, I'm using a different equipment. This is new, this is different. And it keeps them sort of engaged. Mm. So it's just little tricks like that to stick with training principles and not deviate too much. But then also remember, hey, not everyone wants to train for the Olympics. 
So we have to keep them entertained too. I think that's the hardest part about dealing with beginners because they don't always listen and they can be a little bit cheeky, <laughs> to be honest, yeah. and they want to just sort of do their own thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think as well, like when it comes to like another consideration that's going to be really helpful is whether your client, like whether they're having customized coaching, if they're having customized coaching, for example, the, the training program that you alter, you might only make the smallest changes, right? But if you've got, um, like if you're doing your own programming, for example, or if you're following someone else's program and then you follow this other program and then that program every four weeks, like if you're Mm. program hopping, coach hopping, template hopping, those sorts of things, that's going to disadvantage you because you're really only progressing for a couple of weeks out of that training cycle potentially Um, whereas if you've got um, customized coaching like what you said Danny we're going to make the changes that are appropriate we're going to know what movements uh, progress Mm. and we're going to know what movements need to stay in yep yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. So enjoy the beginner thing. Um, okay, we, well, we did move on to strength. Um, another important thing about strength, let's just say someone's training for a powerlifting comp. I mean, it is full on because the amount of recovery is so important because your CNS is fried. So if someone's, yeah, got a powerlifting coach or something, yes, you need to focus on squat, bench, deadlift. Um, however, be mindful that you still need accessories because you can't have any weak links in the chain for you to be able to perform those three lifts to your best capability. So your accessory work is very important as well, but it's not going to be as long as a hypertrophy program because they, their first lift, I remember when I was potentially going to do a powerlifting comp, but then I just changed the bodybuilding back, um, it would take me an hour and a half to squat or an hour and a half to deadlift by the time you activate warm up, whatever. So then to have accessories, you'd, you'd end up being in the gym three, four hours, but sometimes oh, that's... that's what it takes and it's full on. Yeah. Um, so I think for people who want to, you know, have it all, I want to be lean, but I want to be so strong, completely different programming. Sorry guys. Like, you can be sort of a prodigy and you can sort of be that 10% who's lean. They look like they're about to get on stage, but they're really strong and whatever. And that's fine. There are people like that, but for everyone else, you kind of have to pick one. I'm yeah. going to say, because you can't be, you know, powerlifting at your max, max, max lifts, but then be super lean and yeah. then have that hypertrophy training it just doesn't work nah, but you and I kind of do a little mix of both but then when it comes to the stage we don't gas ourselves on those main lifts like yeah. maybe deadlifts will move a little bit further down the programming or squatting or we do a variation um, so I think it's very important to separate hypertrophy and bodybuilding style training to powerlifting and being strong you can have both but if you want to be competitive in both you can't it's two separate things yeah absolutely very well said I think a lot of people want the best of both and it's just not realistic I find that when people start combining adaptations because that's what we're talking Mm. about at all goals when people start combining adaptations beyond the beginner stage you end up being a jack of all trades and a master of none because you sort of do everything half-assed you know and that's what (laughs) as a beginner um you can do something to get you from A to B, 
But to get you from B to C, you can't do the same thing. And that's the mm. difference. And that's where people get stuck. They go, oh, but I did this and it always works. It's like, yeah, but now you've progressed and you're now maybe an intermediate and to continue making progress, you can't do the same thing that got you there. Has mm. to be different. The other thing to keep in mind is like it comes back down to like basic principles as well when you're looking at program design, um, like the said principle, for example. So specific um, adaptations to impose demands. Whew, there I go off the top well of my head. Well done. How Thank good. You. <laughs> what that means is like when you break that down, specific. Like mm-hmm. if you want an adaptation, the exercise selection, the rep range, like everything needs to be specific to that. You mm-hmm. want to do a powerlifting comp, you need to specifically train the three lifts, right? Like if you need to um, build muscle, you need to specifically make sure that you're providing mechanical tension in the most optimal way possible, right? Specific. Mm-hmm. Um adaptations is like I said, like, you know, what is the adaptation that you're actually going after? That needs to be specific. Is it strength? Muscle building might happen. It might be an outcome. You might get a carryover effect, but it's not guaranteed um, if it's going to be strength too. Uh, And then imposed is going to be like the frequency and the duration uh, and the demand part too, the recovery. Like how demanding is it on the body? Mm, mm, Perfect. Awesome. Um, Yeah, that's really good. And I suppose it carries over now that we're talking into specificity or being specific, um, prehab and rehab. I mean, I obviously could go on a tangent for hours and we all could about each one, but we'll kind of keep it succinct and and just to give an idea. But I think that is the beauty of um, how I rehab people as well. It just has to be so specific. So if you see on my Instagram or Instagram, the movements that people consider as activation are so specific. Your legs there, your arms there for that reason, because it is designed for you to recruit certain muscles without others taking over. I think there are, there are so many ways that people can get injured. Um, but to put it really simply, we have muscles and structures that love working, such as people's upper traps, their lower back. You see that a lot. Traps, lower back, always really strong and tight. And then you have muscles that are weak. You know, a lot of people have weak glutes, weak core, weak upper back. So for someone dealing with rehab, it's like, okay, now I'm a scientist. How do I get their glutes to work without their lower back? Or how do I introduce them to core training again without the lower back taking over? Or how do we train the mid back without the trap saying, hey, I'll do it? So the positions and exercises that you prescribe are designed to put you in positions where the lower back knows, hey, I get a break now. Finally, I'll let the core, the glutes, everything else take the load. So yeah, it's really important for specific movements in that, but then also awareness. Okay. This muscle is really sore right now. People think that that's the problem, but that's actually their best asset at that point in time. So for example, someone hurting their back in deadlifts, like their back isn't the problem. Their back was just the the structure doing all of the work. So their back was actually, you got to thank your back saying, hey, thank you for getting me through this movement. Sorry that the other guys didn't help out. So people often have a a backwards perspective on it. They think whatever sore is the problem. It's actually Mm. like, no, whatever sore is actually overcompensating. Mm. So then we get into the programming. How do we give um, exercises that will bring the other muscles in to take the load away from the lower back? Yeah. Problem's never the problem, right? And like going through my own sort of like 
you know, rehab journey as well. I think for, for people that are injured or do get injured or something's tired or something's niggling, we attack it. <laughs> like yeah. you're like, I'm going to phone roll the shit out of this or whatever. Or you're like, <laughs> yeah. go massage it. Dry needling. Stick a ball in it. I don't know. Yeah. Like you attack it. Right. And it's only a human response because it, if usually you might get a sense of relief or mm. whatever that might be. And that's so fine, right? That's so fine. But, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to go to the underlying uh, issue. Uh, and mm. that could be as well, like maybe cleaning up technique. You know, yeah. it, it could be a whole host of things. So it's about making sure that you go to the root of the cause um, mm. rather than the problem itself. I've, I've definitely that. learned that the hard way. <laughs> we always learn that the hard way, right? But now you know what to do yep. and what not to do and you can guide your girls through it as well. And and it's relatability. People get so upset about pain and, and all that and because it sucks. It's not nice. But then to be able to be empathetic and say, hey, I can relate. Like, it's okay. I feel mm-hmm. where, where you are. Like, that's very important too um yeah so that can can also move into sports specific I mean you did mention that sort of not not an area but again similar principles about building your foundation so making sure there's no weak links or you're sort of um you're addressing any weak muscles that you've got and then putting them on the timeline okay do we have to regress it all the way back to basics or can we go to the sport specific movements Mm. the thing about sport specific movements they aren't linear you know for example afl you know you're running you're bending you're twisting turning balancing on one leg jumping landing so many movements in such a short time similar concept to powerlifting at your max if there's a weak link in the chain it will come up when there's more intensity, you know, tempo, like you're, you're tired, you're fatigued, that will show up. Mm. Now, a lot of the athletes that I've worked with, again, same principle. I had a chick who, or a young girl, um, who was about to be drafted for women's VFL and she would always get knee pain in the game. And she'd actually like cry because it was really upsetting. Like athletes, you know what it's like, you put your heart and soul into competing or something it's a very emotional process. Yeah. Um, so they take pain very seriously as, as you do. Now, I sort of, she's like, yeah, whenever I'm playing footy, probably within the first 10 minutes, I get knee pain. I had to come off mm. um, onto the bench. So she's like, I was getting hands-on work and it feels good as it does. And, you know, this is not to say hands-on work isn't appropriate. It is. But every time I go back to the field, um, I get sore. So then I knew, because I was still doing hands-on at the time, I knew, okay, hands-on isn't going to work. So we need to have a look at movements. So I, I asked her, hey, let's have just a look at a bodyweight squat and big knee cave. Her squat, like, no offense, one of the, probably the worst squats I've ever seen, um, which is fine. It's good because you kind of get worried if they come to you and everything looks perfect. It's like, well, shit, this is hard to pick. Yeah. And then I said, okay, cool. That's enough. One rep's fine. That gave me a lot of information. <laughs> Lunge, same thing, knee cave. Didn't know where she was in space, which is fine. She'd never learned. And then I said, hey, can I have a look at the gym program that the footy club's been giving you? And of course, jump lunges, jump squats. Everything was advanced because obviously the, the trainer of the team said, hey, we're playing footy. It needs to be sports specific. I'm just going to go straight for the sports specific movements, which were dynamic, plyometric, this and that. Moral of the story is, if you can't nail the basics, 
you're going to have so much trouble adding in all those complex variables. So we had to strip it right back. She had to learn um, basic glute activation for knee control because knee pain, as you know, often comes from the hips. She had to go all the way back, put in the work, up, 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 forward. And then we progressed her back to those movements and then you apply them in the sport. So I know it's a big topic, but hopefully that's sort of simplified how you do it. You pick where's your weakness, put them on the timeline, and then they just progress back to the sport-specific movements. Yeah, really well said. Thanks for um, giving that explanation. I think as well, like when when um, when you look from like an outside lens, people can have like pain and dysfunctional movement and they are being giving like high impact plyometric intense Mm. movements that don't have controlled eccentrics where you're not able to really learn it. Mm. And it's so backwards, but it's the same thing as like people go into the gym, they go just run on the treadmill because it's like, it's like, and it's like, that's actually like running is like a high skill thing. It's not something that you should just start off by doing. And I guess that comes down to, you know, we should be for everyone beginners moving forward. Um, Unless you're like, you know, bodybuilding could be a little bit different, but we should be training functional movement patterns rather than thinking about exercises. That's the Mm. way we should approach programming in general. Like we know that there's the main uh, functional movement patterns, which are going to be like a squat, um, we're going to have like a lunge. We're going to have like a hip hinge movement mm. pattern, pull, uh, row, and then press. What else yeah, is there? Yeah. Stability. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think that's, that's all. I think that's all. That's enough. Um, <laughs> we're going to have those main functional uh, movement patterns and we should be training all of them across a the week. Um, there's mm. going to be ways that you can sort of, you know, do do a couple at the same time or whatever. We're going to be able to use machines for some too. Um, you don't necessarily have to use free weights for all of them. Uh, there's going to be a whole host of, of ways. But if you know that you're getting someone to train all of these movement patterns across the week um, and, you know, the volume is equal, like that's the way you would sort of look at uh, like a beginner phase. And then as you earn the right and become more advanced, you can start altering the volume of these things. Like bodybuilding is a little bit different. So for example, like yeah. I don't, I don't thrash my arms. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I don't really train arms that much. Um, I do a lot more lunging than squatting. Like mm. there's certain ways that you can manipulate it once you get into that intermediate phase and beyond to be able mm. to be more specific, right? That's the catch there. More specific towards the adaptations and goals that you have. Yeah, that is so true. I mean, and for beginners, I think it's really nice to give them those easier exercises that they can definitely nail like what I mentioned earlier about biceps and triceps which you wouldn't necessarily do now because they're not an area that you want to grow and you're Mm. putting a lot of effort into hypertrophy so to give them those small wins is always nice or even just a leg extension where they know that they can get it because Mm. at the start something is better than nothing but you made a really good point of giving all all movement patterns, um, and that goes for mobility as well. So most people are desk workers or, you know, not most people are desk workers, but a lot of us are desk workers sitting down. We mold into these positions. So it is important that your gym program is tailored towards that as well. And that's why it's important to go back to your client, what they do in everyday life. Yeah. Are they sitting stagnant for eight hours? Are they up and about at a work site? Are they up and about with kids? Mm. Um, so on paper, a lot of people think a one-to-one ratio makes sense. For yeah. example, one push, one pull, mm. um, one squat, one hinge, whatever. I don't think that's the case because if 
if we're sitting down for eight hours in a big C shape with our spine, we're already quite forward. We don't need as much chest as back, for example. So I know I'm talking in really sort of basic terms, but I think it's true. Um, People take the one-to-one ratio way too literally without considering what they're doing all day, every day, because then essentially, you know, if they are spending their time with their hands in front, they're in that push position for hours. So it wouldn't really be one-to-one. Yeah, really well said. I think there was that misconception with the push to pull ratio. They were like, oh, no, what was it? It was uh, pull two to one. It's sort of like you need to be doing two to one. And I just think like it's so basic. Do you know what I mean? We need to give programming the respect it deserves and it's a lot more Mm. complex than putting generalized ratios on it for everyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, It just doesn't work like that. Something mm. I ran into and something I, I, I run into from time to time is because my goals are body composition wise or muscle building wise are very much um, like glutes, hamstrings, posterior chain. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't have a huge amount of quad volume, still definitely there, yeah. uh, but it's not as high as like maybe my glute volume per se. Um, yeah. Something that like I've run into in the past and I have sort of recently too that I'm sort of tweaking things on at the moment is my quad strength is the limiting factor um, for being able to progress in other movements like a mm. leg press, for example, even though I mm. make it more glute biased and hamstring biased, oh, sorry, glute biased um, for the way that I set it up, yeah. um, my quads are gassing out metabolically. Um, mm. Like they're just like dying pump wise. I'm like, oh, there's too much waste. They can't clear it. Needs yeah. a bit more conditioning, needs a bit more strength. Um, yeah. And that's, that's programming as a whole, right? You're always going to run into limiting factors because you can't work on everything at once. And that's yeah. really important to remember. Everyone's like, oh, so I'll put every single exercise in a week. Like you can't do that, right? Mm. Like this is why the program that follows the program is really important because if you've got deficits in a, in one program, that's probably okay. Um, but you need to make sure that uh, like on a continuum, you're training all movement pads, like overhead pressing, and you're doing all the mm. things across a continuum. Like I'm not going to not train arms forever. Like I sprinkle mm. it in mm. um, to make sure that my triceps and biceps and forearms and all of those things are getting um, like strength and yep. you know, just movement in general. But yeah, that's something that, is really important for, and, and why customization and just like having that um, intuitive approach with your training to be like, my glutes aren't taxed here, but man, my quads are. So I probably yeah. just need to put in a little bit more volume, bring them back up strength wise, mm. um, just to be able to progress my legs as a whole. And then I can strip it back if I want to. Really good point. And that's when timing's important and assessing your goals. So you know you're going to get on stage at the end of the year. You can add in more quad volume now type thing. You wouldn't probably pump the quads right near stage time because from what you've said in the past, that's not an area you want to grow. But now for performance, hey, you you need to do that. So timing is very important. And then also, um, yeah, your goals as well. And I notice this a lot with uh, people who are training to get on stage. So it is true that, you know, you can go to failure on machines, you can push a little bit more, they are a little bit more isolated. Um, You can pinpoint certain muscles for hypertrophy. For example, on a hack squat, you can probably use more isolated muscles than on a squat. So 
a lot of people just take out all compound movements because they think, hey, I'm a bodybuilder now. I just want to pick and choose little muscles. <laughs> I'm a bodybuilder now. I'm a bodybuilder now, baby. See you <laughs> later, compounds. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and I actually did have a client come to me in this position where her coach sort of just had her on machines and whatever it was working. But then she started to develop really bad hip pain. Mm. Um, and then we started working together and it over time it's gone now. But what I had to do was bring back in a squat, bring back in a deadlift, bring back in. Oh, she was doing heaps of hip thrusts, obviously, because, you know, when you're getting on. So no deadlift. She wasn't even dead. Like no No hip hinge or deadlift. No hip hinge pattern at all. And no squat. No, because then then they really started to hurt when she tried to bring them back in. So it was kind of too far gone. So again, in order to, you know, rehab the hip, we need to teach the hip how to move well in space. So Because if we're at home picking up something off the ground, that's a squat or that's a deadlift, you know what I mean? So if we don't train the body's ability to naturally squat, to bring the core in when you're squatting, to have a hip hinge, you can develop pain. So it was that battle of, okay, wanting to grow muscles, but then also having to add compounds back in. We just stripped it back. I didn't put it sort of as one of the first exercises, had it later in the program. And then eventually um, we brought in, barbell work again just because she wanted to but now she's getting closer to stage taking out the barbell work um, and then still just had goblet squats and things like that so going back to your point earlier we still need to train every single movement pattern it's just about what load what frequency how often where in our program but you know if you want to set yourself up to be really strong keep all movement patterns in yeah yeah, well said. And it comes down to, I guess, like the, one of the functional movement patterns is stability, you know, mm. and we train that in a whole host of ways. And that's why a good balance between free weights and machines is really important. So yeah. you should never um, only have machines. Uh, mm. That's that's silly, in my opinion. Um, you always need to have a nice combination. The same way as you're going to get probably more bang for your buck if you've got, if you're doing um, like a combination and not just free weights. So mm. for example, like you can still get great results just training free weights. Like for a lot of people training at home and all of those sorts of things, absolutely, mm-hmm. especially as a beginner, like no issues. But there will come a point, um, especially again, if you want to get from B to C, um, where yep. you do need some machine work to be able to work around task failure, um, be able to push for more hypertrophy, um, cables, right? Like just invaluable mm-hmm. in terms of like a training resource the gym so Mm. really important to have that combination of both and you know use stability and fluctuate depending on your goals and your body and where you're at physically yeah awesome point I mean you will for example you will get quad quads being trained in a squat for example but task failure as you said so breaking down your technique will happen first you get fatigued other muscles will try and jump in so you will end up getting better results if you do your squats but then also include a leg extension because it's only quads that's just for a quad development example as you said as a beginner it's fine you can get great results sort of from one or the other but then as we get from b to c which i love that analogy that you use then we we do need to think about what is optimal and it is optimal to have both machines and free weights 
Yeah, well said. And yeah, even just to like elaborate on that. So when we say task failure, as Danny mentioned, we're talking about like running into our technique deteriorating. Our technique Mm. is starting to slow down or whatever it might be. We're running into task failure, the skill itself. So, you know, whether that's like a back squat um, or whether that's like a conventional deadlift or a Bulgarian split squat or whatever it might be, because we're relying on internal stabilizing muscles um, and our core strength and all of those things, which is fantastic. We want to be able to make sure again, that we have that nice balance. Um, We will like those, our brace, you know, all of those things will start to fatigue um, and our technique as a result will start to break down. Now, this is when the last couple of reps, when they start to slow down or break down, you're like, cool, I'm reaching failure task failure, but failure. Mm-hmm. I'm reaching failure. It's not necessarily, uh, it's not um, important to go beyond that. And you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be going beyond task failure. Like, mm. you know, when you see people like assisting someone with a back squat in terms of like forced <sighs> reps and stuff. You're like, what yeah. are you doing? Just That's get off the leg press. That's Do you know scary. what I mean? Um, <laughs> Whereas as we spoke about last week, we were talking about mechanical tension and all of Mm. those things and something referred to as muscular failure. So Mm. the muscles are failing, not the technique. And, you know, you can grind out on a hack squat and a leg press and be like, am I even moving, right? Mm. You Mm. can really reach a level of muscular failure with machine work that you just can't do with like free weights, unfortunately. It's a safety thing. I mean, if you get stuck at the bottom of a hack squat, cool, you just climb out. If you're stuck at the bottom of a barbell squat, very different story. You know, it's not nice and you don't want to like, yeah, like you don't need to. You don't need to. It's just too much stress on the body. Your ego's down the drain. Yep. Like it's just not worth it. Yep. So awesome point to talk about. Um, should we move into the rep ranges? Yeah, for sure. For sure. So traditionally uh, when you like, again, once we're talking about exercise selection, um, the next thing that you're going to pair that with is how many reps and how many sets. And this is what, when you talk about training principles, this is known as volume, like how much volume you're doing. Everything we've really spoken about at the moment has been exercise selection and intensity, like how Mm. much effort or how hard. Um, But now we're talking about volume per se. So you might notice on your program, obviously you might have like three sets of 10 or four sets of six or five sets of two, whatever it might be. That's the volume of how much it adds up across the week. Now, Mm. when we were referring to different goals, traditionally they would say, oh, well, if you want to build strength, you need to train one to five reps yeah and if you want to build muscle you need to train eight to 12 reps Mm. and if you want to build conditioning or muscular endurance it's going to be like you know 12 to 20 30 40 50 reps Mm. um higher reps and you know over time uh that the sort of research and the recommendations have changed and it's not necessarily uh the truth it's it sort of bleeds across each other now so they've yeah. shown that you can build strength really at any rep range you can build muscle at really any rep range um maybe conditioning and endurance you obviously have to reach those sort of metabolic pathway fatigues but when it comes to strength and hypertrophy it's sort of like a an untold rule that rep range isn't as important as they once believed yeah, I remember learning in cert three or four or whatever, like that was one of the first things they teach you. This rep range will give you this goal and you've just yeah. highlighted it beautifully. No there is overlap. It is very different and it kind of plays off the back of what we've been saying sort of all morning being um, with strength that is a skill. So if you need higher reps to practice that skill, 
then yeah, that will lead to strength. So it can, it can be higher. Um, with hypertrophy, again, it just depends on how much mechanical tension you're putting on the muscle, metabolic stress and metabolic damage. That might not happen between 10 to 12. You, it might happen sooner. It might happen later. So it's probably less about the rep ranges and more about you know the theory behind why we're doing what we're doing. Um, but then recognizing, yes, on the lower end, it, it will still be strength, but mm, yes and no, you can argue that. I mean, yeah. we're just used to being able to reach maximum strength, power and output at a low rep range and that's fine. But being able to do that, you can't always just practice one RMs. You no. need to practice that skill for higher reps. So yeah, really good point that you've brought up here. And I think it's important for everyone to realize that. Um also for your own confidence when writing a program, like people just think there is one answer and, and, and all of that, but there really isn't. So don't stress if your client comes to you saying, I want hypertrophy goals, don't stress that you might not know the right answer. Just keep learning. It's trial and error. Keep getting feedback and then adjust the program accordingly. Yeah, absolutely. And when it comes to like rep ranges, something that I think is more important is the exercise selection itself. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're doing a cable kickback, you're not going to give them two reps. (laughs) Yeah, true. This is two rep max on kickback. So (laughs) obviously isolated exercise, like cable slash machine, like you're not going to do that. So exercise selection is is more important. And I think it's, it's important to say because you might feel like, oh, this program, like it's three sets of 10 to 12. You know, so you don't have to do that for every exercise. You know what I mean? Like you can you can have different rep ranges across the training program. Like mm. if it's all geared towards the same uh, adaptation or result or outcome. Mm. Obviously, if you're training like the extreme ends of both, you're going to get different adaptations just based on the muscle fibers that it's going to take to recruit that. So if you're doing like one to three reps, of course, you're going to get more of the strength-based muscle fibers. Um, but you may also build muscle too. And that's what mm. we're saying. Like you're going to do that. Um, with the hypertrophy style, stuff it is just about a balance when it comes to volume it's a balance between a a constant pendulum of intensity and volume yeah where one goes up and one comes down and this is why we look at what is the what is the volume that allows me to optimize time under tension um, mechanical tension but then also allow my recovery to to outweigh those two things as well and yeah you know it's going to be different I like personally and I know like we, we're not giving fact numbers or anything but I, for muscle building I love a rep range sort of between 6 to 12 for mm. like I find that I generally program inside of that um, but then as we mentioned at the start you can sort of have a mix of both and sometimes I do love going through like when I'm not in the comp prep going through like a power building um, style training approach I think that's the best way where you can combine two of the adaptations in a gentle way again you're not going to be an elite powerlifter or like a awesome bodybuilder doing this Mm -hmm. style you will usually have to pick um but you can do a lot of your compound stuffs and like keep it in get really strong do some like you know one two three four rep sort of max things Mm -hmm. on that and then move into your accessory bodybuilding stuff and that allows you to have the intensity the strength progression but then also accumulate the volume as well for muscle growth yeah it's a good time and that's definitely the training style that I'm I'm doing right now as well it's just fun but then I don't 
beat myself up if my main lifts aren't, you know, yeah. a PB or whatever every time. Cause I'm like, eh, I've still got the rest of the program now. That's fine. Yeah, exactly. um, and you adjust it accordingly, but you've made some really good points about saying, you know, um, exercise selection is probably more important than the rep range. And then intensity is more important than the rep range. Cause someone can reach their 12 reps and then they haven't even really pushed themselves. And then it's like, well, there was no point doing 12 reps you know you probably Mm. need more or less or a different weight and we've had it in the past or or many times where we've programmed someone and then they're like oh it wasn't hard enough and then straight away we know well you're just not training hard enough I'm Mm. sorry like do you want more written on the paper because that is not going to happen do you want more reps because that is not going to happen like intensity is everything um I would never hear this from someone that is a beginner because things are hard. They're a bit humble, but sometimes you come across someone and a lot of them come from like a crossfitting background just because you guys are animals, absolute (laughs) animals, and you just never stop. And it's just like, wow, hats off to you guys. But a crossfitter trying to come into a hypertrophy and strength program, it's you need good communication and you need to teach them that less is more for these goals. Like, you can't sort of have it all as we've said. So if someone does come to you and say, hey, the program's too easy. And then as a coach, you're looking and it's like, hmm, okay, I've given them barbell work. I've given them like pretty advanced stuff. Then that's a clue that the intensity is just not there or they're rushing through the movements um, and, and not applying it. So yeah, intensity is way more important than rep range. Yeah, hundred percent. And I know like a lot of people say volume is the king when it comes to everything, like you need enough volume, but what they're missing is that it needs to be effective volume, not just volume for the sake of volume. And that just like, I think it's, it's so funny, junk volume, like what we should be aiming for with uh, our training is effective reps. And when I say effective, that it means like enough mechanical tension, um, good technique and training mm. with real effort um, and intentionality, right? So yeah. junk volume is all of the fluffy shit that's not actually equaling muscle growth at the end of the day. And we've mentioned in the past that it's great for fun. It's great for sort of <laughs> things and whatever, but it, like I, we didn't list fun as like a, an adaptation. Sorry. <laughs> It's just not like I said, you know, it's fun progress and yeah, progress man. only obtained when we follow something that's specific. I love that. It's so true. That's what, when people come to us, they know to expect that we're not fluffy cheerleaders anymore, but I love the fluffy <laughs> cheerleader. Like that's fun. And that's so good, but we've been in this game a long time now and we kind of just, we know what gets the result and then we just do it. So yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. But in saying all of this, like, this is just an outline. Danny and myself are going to have like our own methods or like favorite best exercises I love or whatever. But we're going to have our own, uh, like our own, you know, way to do it. Like mm. that's just the way, way you progress and develop as a coach. And mm. I think the best way to learn, like what exercises work best for me, what exercises work best for um, clientele, what exercises work for, you know, specific goals is to honestly trial it all yourself. I think there's no yeah. better way than learning. Um, and even when it comes to like you learn yourself and then you learn from training other people, you're like, oh, this setup just doesn't work for them. Like must be the limb length. Like they do have long femurs. Like maybe I need to, you know, you sort of start getting curious about how it looks on other people then. But 
you can't teach others if you first haven't learned for yourself. And that's yeah. really important because there's a lot of people and no one listening to this, but there's a lot of people that don't practice what they preach and they just mm. give out a blue script of what has worked or what mm. they've read on the internet or a program they've downloaded from somewhere else. And they haven't actually trialed it because mm. I've like every program I've dished out, I've tried myself. And mm. um, there's sometimes where you just do it and you're like, nah, you know, this setup is yeah. not realistic, doesn't feel right. Oh, this feels good. Mm. You know, and then you might learn as to why you're like, oh, length to tension relationship or whatever it might be. Or like, mm. I just love push and pull as supersets together. It feels great subjectively on my joints. And mm-hmm. you just develop your own things. And whilst you might not have like a paper to support why, like subjective, yeah. uh, like subjective rationale and just personal like experience is really important. Yeah, and that's so good. And we always bring up the point where, yes, there is research on certain optimal things. There is optimal technique, um, but then there's just so many variables in between that we don't always need to try and find a book to learn programming or a research article to learn programming. Like, yes, that's going to give us information, but it can't physically apply to every single person out there because there are just so many variables. So as you said, try it on yourself, practice what you preach, ask feedback from your clients and just be okay, you know, with the whole trial and error process. And even Sherelle and I coach differently. I mean, we come here and have a beautiful mutual agreement and chat on things and then we challenge each other and that's fine. But you and I are still two different people. We work Mm -hmm. with different clients and that is amazing. We're not all here to be the same style of coach. That's boring. Different people need different coaches and that, that's, that's fine. And I love that about you. I love that we have that dynamic similarities, but also differences that we love bringing up here as well. Mm. Um, and it's not that one's right and one's wrong. You and I just have different people that we work with, which is mm. so cool. Um, yeah. So we need different approaches and we have different things that we enjoy, different life experiences. And that's that's what this game is like. Yeah. yeah. So try, we all stop we all need to stop trying to just fit in the same box. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel as though we didn't really spend a whole lot of time talking about the exercises per se, but hopefully this has given you a bit of a, like a, an overview to be able to choose the, yeah. the most appropriate exercises based on, you know, the client that you're working with, their history, their their past and um, previous coaching experiences as well. Uh, mm. The adaptation, you know, or the outcome that you're trying to achieve as a coach is probably going to be one of the single most important variables that you'll have to consider when it comes to exercise selection. Um, and then, of course, the rep ranges and the volume, because that's going to dictate the exercise and the intensity in itself. So that's mm-hmm. really going to be the piece that you really need need to know for exercise selection amazing thanks for the recap good one awesome (laughs) well thanks everyone again for tuning in for another episode on like a training um topic let us know if you did enjoy it and as always if you did please do take a screenshot and tag the level up podcast on instagram thanks everyone